0: Welcome to the Battleground, Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It's the holiday season, and uh, so, of course, that means everything in politics is wonderful and cheery. Uh, not exactly. Uh, we have our full panel, though, to dive into what is going on, the latest here both in Wisconsin and nationally, and that means Rebecca Lynch is with us from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca, good to see you.
1: Good to be here. Thanks, Matt.
0: Awesome. And as always, Robert Craig, our executive director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Robert. Good day, everyone. So we are going to talk about uh, a number of topics, including we're going to look at the tax bill, what's next, uh, and the implications of it, and also sort of the current political environment now that follows it. We're going to spend some time with Representative Jonathan Brostoff talking about the Wetlands Destruction Bill that has a rushed public hearing in the legislature today as we record Thursday the uh, 21st. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about some special elections that are going on. Citizen Action has released a very important health care cost report. I believe it's our 13th or 12th annual twelfth annual cost report. We'll talk about the findings and its implications and uh, a few other issues, but you with we're trying that, to give
2: us a baker's dozen.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> what the heck? So um, let's dive right into the tax bill. It uh, it is passed. The House has repassed it, headed to Trump's desk. It's not gonna it's not gonna sign it before Christmas, but it uh, sounds like it w- is eminent. Um, instead of getting into the details of it, I think we've covered that over the last month. Let's start to talk about the implications, right? Obviously, uh, one of the it, most critical implications is the fact that we're cutting so many, so much revenue that this is definitely going to lead to serious uh, pressure on the social safety net. Robert, I know there's a really good New York Times article that's uh, been going around that outlines this. I know you have, you and Rebecca have some thoughts on this, so I'm just going to lead it to you, but a conversation about uh, the implications uh, that, that are ahead uh, as it relates to the safety net.
2: Well, let me even take a step back, Um, and Rebecca can probably address some of the uh, specific cuts that are on the table. This is proof that we're not living in times where there's normal politics as defined uh, for much of the whole post-World War II era. This is not something that is popular in public opinion polling, so it shows a divergence between public opinion and what actual big policy is, which actually does support the idea that we're moving towards a plutocracy because it benefits only a very small number of wealthy people. And it's part of an unfolding right-wing conspiracy that began with Brown versus Board of Education and the reaction against it. And in the Virginia School, the Chicago School, again, I would recommend Nancy McLean's book, uh, Chaining a Democracy, on the history of this. And so they have an agenda, it's in the history of the Koch brothers, the Bradley Foundation, et cetera, and it is to strangle the role of government in expanding opportunity and freedom and social justice. And so this is a two-step. And they're willing to take huge political hits. You have democratic strategists saying, hooray, hooray, including the National Working Families Party, now we have good electoral issues. Why would they set up big electoral issues? Because they're, they're willing to take the hit and risk that in order to achieve this really very malevolent agenda and progressives are always asking you see on social media how can they do this how can they be this way look human beings are willing with uh, ideologically conditioned enough uh, to support mass murder and genocide. So, this is, so it, it, the ideology answers, they have an answer to everything, because they, the whole point of an ideology is to be able to answer all questions, right? regardless of whether it's tethered to any facts or not, and this very few. And that's why they can stand up there and just lie through their teeth in the Senate debate over and over again, and uh, do it without flinching, because this is ideology. And this is toxic and undemocratic. And it's the kind of thing the founding fathers were, were afraid of a faction taking over our country and then pushing a very narrow agenda that was not in any public interest and wasn't really had nothing to do with popular consent.
1: Yeah. Uh, so it's a really insidious bill. And it went through. And I think that most of the American people. Aren't as familiar with how devastating this is going to be as I would like them to be. Now, when they still hate it, though, they still hate it. When (laughs) polled, people hate it. Um, But I I think that there are like some key points um, about the bill that are worth noting. And one of them is you know, the the next step is welfare reform and quote unquote, quote unquote, um, and requiring uh, people on Medicaid to work. Now, most adults on Medicaid do work. Uh, and the people who would be then cut from Medicaid are sick, and disabled, and elderly, retired, or caring for a sick family member. These are the folks who or are going to serious get
2: mental health issues. Serious
1: mental health issues. So, so those are the folks who are going to be um, endangered, impoverished, and you know, possibly might die because of the impact of those cuts. And so, or the change, the the reform for welfare reform. And so, one of the things I think about a lot is. Um, that folks aren't getting the information and obviously people listening to this podcast are, but, uh, you know, we've got on the one hand Fox news, which is going to say welfare reform, overspending, um, whatever, whatever horrible terms they'll use about welfare Queens or entitlement. Um, but even in on the quote unquote left, I don't think people are fully getting all that information. Um, and, and, you know, I think, that's where grassroots activism comes in. Obviously groups like Citizen Action, but also all of the elected officials, I know we're gonna have Jonathan Brostoff on in a moment, every newsletter, every town hall, every event they're at, You know, we need them to do the job. They may not be a federal elected official, but we need them and all of us to be telling people exactly what the impact of these tax cuts are going to be if we're going to be able to ensure that there are consequences for this in the elections.
2: Uh, I agree now the the issue though is is that it's already unpopular, uh, and so what you're saying is is that if, if the public only knew how bad it was, it would be even more unpopular. But if it's 26 percent support right now, and obviously raising the intensity of opposition is important, so it's not just raw support, but probably 17 that's where the uh, Trump care bills were is the low you can get in terms of aggregate yeah. you know uh, support uh with the right-wing base being what it is there's also kind of a new kind of coarseness and maliciousness and you see it in the whole trump uh pseudo-populism and so to some extent saying oh all these sympathetic people are going to be cut off the right-wing base and some people who are cross-pressured who who are susceptible to the message are going to be like well I'm screwed anyway. Look, the death rates uh, for for people, we actually have life expectancy going down. That's going to new reports now, so people are under a lot of pressure, that they might want to even be mean. So we kind of need to not just talk about the people that will be impacted, which we do need to do, but we need to put it in a broader frame about our society, about what's right and wrong, and about what would benefit everyone. In other words, to say that you can't really have freedom yourself and opportunity if our democratic government doesn't create a structure for that, a playing field for that, and that this is part of that and that you're next. So it's not, it's both about sympathetic people. The other thing to realize, and this is something to understand about any kind of pressure on the from the democratic center to, uh, to try to co opt this and not take this on, Bill Clinton told us that if he did his welfare reform, that welfare reform be taken away as a political issue. There aren't a bunch of people in the current welfare system sitting on porches, to quote Scott Walker and Donald Trump, able-bodied, yes. right? Simply not working. It doesn't exist, but they say it anyway. So it, it tells you that you still have to take on the ideology frontally because people believe things are true even if you make them untrue by uh, by by undermining God and, and, and harming a whole lot of people, which is what welfare reform in the 90s with democratic support did.
1: Uh, I don't disagree, but I'm going to push back a little bit because I know Brian, the man behind the curtain on the pod, wants a little bit more controversy and back and forth. (laughs) Go, Brian. (laughs) Um, I don't disagree about your assessment of folks on the right, but I think the electoral strategy of folks like Paul Ryan, if he does run for a re-election again, um, and other Republicans, is going to be to target um, Republicans in the middle, who are paying attention, who go to church, who have a conscience, um, who maybe don't want the disabled and mentally ill and sick in their community to be just thrown out onto the streets. And I think we need to make sure that they need to, they know exactly what's going on and that our folks know. And I agree it's unpopular, but there are levels of engagement that we should talk about. The after you know 45 was elected and you know what happened with the healthcare bill, we saw practically riots in the street. And I think we need to make sure that people know that this is just Trump Care 2.0 in many ways um, and have that level of energy because we need people on our team to understand what's going on and volunteer and be out there talking to folks and we need people in the middle to know what's going on as well and I think one of the most important things super quickly because I know we're running out of time one of the most important things um, that we saw in the the recent elections is that you know Republicans that were in the middle or moderate they stayed home and I think that the only way uh, incumbent Republicans maintain their electoral position is if they get those people to come out next year.
0: You will have to hear Robert's response when we (laughs) return here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at CitizenActionWI.org. So welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at CitizenActionWI.org. Before we left for the break, we were having a, a great conversation about the tax bill after the tax bill, its implications. Robert? Going back to you to, to, for some comments. So
2: before we left, and, and Rebecca's going to correct me on my mischaracterization, but I just want to, I'm I feeling we're actually close together, but I'm going to flesh this out, okay? Flesh away. I was talking about how this is a broader, long-term historical right-wing conspiracy and that we have <laughs> non-normal politics because they're willing to do something deeply unpopular. Uh, to defund government massively, give the resources back to the wealthiest and corporations, to then serve with the deficit they create as an excuse to gut health care and what's left of the social safety net. And Rebecca was talking about the importance of reaching out to GOP moderates, because Ryan and company will be very, Paul Ryan will be very interested in trying to make them uh, feel it's not overly coarse, etc. And so it seemed like there might be a disagreement. And she talked about facts and how we need to educate people about what's really going on. And we both agreed the tax bill's is already unpopular, right? But it's a question of it would be even more unpopular and there'd be more intensity in terms of voting if they knew even how much worse it is than, than has been reported uh, in, uh, by Fox News and uh, what some people call lamestream media. So here's my point here. I think that we're, we're in a bigger battle for ideas, and that if we just kind of run the standard political ads, not the ones the Working Family Party would run, but traditional consultants, right, where we say, he's for Medicaid cuts, he's for Medicare cuts, he wants to cut this many people off of food assistance, et cetera, right, so it's usually he, sometimes a she, then the way it sets up is that you're defending the status quo, and you're not offering any kind of vision and people are dissatisfied with the status quo, right? And so it needs to be a battle of ideas such as they're going to undermine the the, the ability of, of, of our democracy not only to address things such as poverty, such as people who are vulnerable, but also to help all of you too, to universalize it, right? And to, and to make this an even deeper malevolent agenda and not be defending the status quo, right? So. I really think that we need to get outside of, because when we just do the attack ads, we look like we're defending a status quo that is discredited, rather than talking about what we should do to ameliorate poverty. And I'll give you an example, and we can can get to this when we get to the social safety net. The best research shows that the anti-poverty programs, all combined at the federal level, actually reduce the poverty rate by 40%. So they're effective, but they don't eliminate poverty. We still have too much poverty. So it's this gray kind of thing. And it sets us up for the right to say, see all these programs fail, which is what Paul Ryan does. We need to be more about, okay, we actually need to move forward and actually eliminate poverty. Yeah,
0: Robert, this gets back to a broader theme that we've talked about and why we spent a lot of time trying to develop a platform and a long-term agenda. We have got to just stop talking about what we're against. Uh, I think we have laid that out very well over the last few years. Um, And I actually think many of the people we're trying to persuade or convince know that. I think they kind of get the critique on Walker and Robert your point is if we're not clear about what our vision is and our candidates aren't I I I don't want to say we because I think there's a lot of people in the movement a lot of organizations a lot of uh, people who work on on the left or in the progressive movement who are kind of clear about what they want it's just we don't our candidates aren't clear about that and our candidates are often told not to be clear about that they're often told it's safer to just attack, because of course these programs are unpopular, but as Robert has pointed out, in a vacuum, you know, no alternative that people actually think will make a difference in their life, it's just not, it's not gonna, it's not gonna uh, get us where we need to go. So, I would echo that. Um, Want to continue this conversation, there's more around this, this ripping of the social safety net, right? I mean, the reality of this this cut is we are going to absolutely have to gut, and you already see Trump has It's it's become very public. Is already pushing Paul Ryan that that's it. We got to go after. Let's go after the welfare programs, right? So here it is. Trump Trump wants to
2: do the what supposedly left the welfare programs, whereas Ryan is focused on Medicare and Medicaid.
0: Right. Well, yeah. Well, in in some ways, what I would suggest is Trump is doing the thing that's more politically popular, whereas Ryan's going to go after what you know impacts everybody. Um, So it'll be fascinating to see to see where this goes. Um, other thoughts people have related to the tax bill? Otherwise, uh, we can uh, move on. I, I know there's implications related to this. I know, Rebecca, you wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the other, whether government shutdown, what might be happening with DACA as it relates to this, any... any, or.
1: Yeah, just generally, and this is something that you you had um, mentioned before the podcast and uh, framed it in a, a really excellent way, which is that we're now on to the next thing, right? This is a relentless pace, and, and we can't forget that, you know, the consequences of 2016 is that there is a unified, um, you know, House, Senate, and White House that's all Republican, and they have so far been bumbling and incompetent. But they have managed to get this tax reform, tax cuts bill through. Um, they are going to go after the social safety net now. In the meantime, we have government shutdown, and what they're going to try to sneak in there, um, you know, whether or not we get something done on a Clean Dream Act and DACA um, is something that is like critically important for so many families in Wisconsin. So they are they are on track before the midterm elections to do as much damage as possible at a relentless pace.
0: Yeah, and. Uh, Thank you for reminding me of that point, right? Like, we cannot forget that we live in this absolutely insane political cycle that is like 24 hours at its longest in some ways. So in some ways, probably in a month, the tax bill won't be on people's minds. Um, in, You could, I, I don't know, I, I'm drifting a little bit here, but if you think about the Affordable Care Act, right, a lot of the damage and the problems we have with the Affordable Care Act isn't in it actually what its guts are. It's in the branding because when it got out, it was the public perception of it was highly negative and it was very it's been very hard to shift that. This tax plan, the Republicans are banking on somehow the $1,000, you know, the fact when I check off my two lovely kids and get the the extra 1000 for the child tax credit, that I'm going to somehow be, you know, very, that I'm going to remember all that and thank them as opposed to, is this bill, as we talked about earlier, already branded two to one, wildly unpopular, in some ways effective at really getting it out there that this is going to help the wealthy and corporations going to come at the expense of regular people and and to some extent maybe that is is kind of solidified and the thing here we just keep going right do not stop the resistance because it's just going to be it's going to be issue after issue and we need to just keep fighting this with the hope that we can start to push back and make changes in in next next fall because the reality is these folks are not changing their agenda, right? It's a question of whether we're just going after uh, welfare or we're going after the whole social safety net with them.
2: No, it's not normal politics. They're not satisfied. And this will continue to unfold. The ideology, which is an extreme right-wing ideology, will perfect itself. It will try to achieve its ultimate purity. That's what ideologies do. And these guys are dogmatic. And it's super fueled with the interests of powerful interests that also benefit greatly from this. So it's the two combined, right? And so we need to be aware that we need to make every smaller fight about the bigger fight. And that means we actually need to contest over the broader battle of ideas and discredit their ideology rather than, oh, they just could have gone the tax bill a little differently and better in a te- technically better way. And then things would be OK because, quite frankly, when they go and say we just can't afford Medicaid anymore, you know that's going to be compelling to a lot of people, even though they've made that because well, uh, it's going to be
0: true given right. the realities of the budget. Yeah.
1: So, oh, yeah, I go. just wanted to say, you know, I don't I don't disagree with Robert that we need to be bold and talk about the bigger fight, um, and we need to push uh, establishment Democrats to do that. I think at the same time, uh, we need to talk about some of the specifics. Um, in a way that we haven't. So yes, the tax bill is wildly unpopular. It's a terrible bill. Um, And part of it is because the messaging around it, which is accurate, has been that this is like tax cuts for the very wealthy and corporations at the expense of many other people. However, what we haven't been effective at doing, and there, there are exceptions to this, but generally what we haven't been effective at doing is saying this tax bill is going to kill people. And that was something that was like urgent and compelling around, uh, you know, the, tr- the attempt to kill Obamacare, and I think that we did not do a-, a good enough job in explaining that here. And evidence of that I see is that during the Affordable Care Act fight, we saw. People in the streets across Wisconsin, empty chair town halls in Paul Ryan's district, uh, marches, um, meetings—like people were very engaged. This tax bill is very similar in some of its implications for the the people who are most vulnerable among us: the sick, the disabled, the mentally ill. Um, and you know, we did have folks get arrested in the Capitol this week—disabled um, people, sick people—to um, try to drive home this point. But it, the Democrats did not did not point that out soon enough. And so in the districts, that was not something that we saw in the same way we did during the Affordable Care Act, and I think it made a difference.
2: Well, I know we're quick, short, but part of the reason is is because the implications of the tax bill, aside from the giveaways, come later, and tax policy is complicated, and we've kind of lost tax policy because we haven't made the case for revenue. And so that's why, we'll talk to it in a later segment, they were able to eviscerate the Affordable Care Act in this context uh, when they couldn't do it, taking the Affordable Care Act on frontally. And so we need to be aware of that, which means since the the other steps come later, we need Democrats running every time they offer a cut to something, run as an offset, you say, no, we, we should simply re-raise corporate taxes or raise or lower the uh, inheritance tax threshold back to $5 million from $10 million, etc. Make them vote over and over again on, I want to cut people off of Medicaid, throw grandma out of her long-term care facility or off her home care so that we can uh, uh, exempt up, uh, you know, uh, make sure that, pe- that heirs and heiresses uh, get money tax-free they didn't earn.
0: And with that, we got to take a break, and we'll be right back here at the Battleground with Scott. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We have a special guest who's uh, joining us for this segment, and uh, that is Representative Jonathan Brostoff. And we have the representative joining us today to talk about this extraordinarily controversial, controversial hell, crap, cruddy, cruddy, uh, we're on radio, lousy wetlands destruction bill, uh, that is being rammed through the legislature including a public hearing today and we record thursday december 21st representative brostov thanks for joining us to talk more about this bill
3: thank you i'm happy to be here yes yeah, unfortunate It's under these circumstances, but, um, yeah, I'm I'm just glad we can help try and get the word out, which is exactly what the uh, authors and those behind this bill don't want. You know, they introduce this right before Christmas, where people are getting family stuff together, getting their vacation, trying to finish up things last minute, and hardly have time to come in the middle of the day for a committee hearing in Madison. And they're doing a joint committee hearing, which is one where they're cutting the amount of public input in half. So not only are they not going around to the different communities that will be affected and getting public input, they're making people come here the day before Christmas with one opportunity to weigh in before they ram this through.
0: So so Jonathan, obviously you've done a great job laying out how undemocratic the process is. Remind our listeners again about the bill and essentially what this thing does and why, uh, it. W- since they obviously won't be able to make it today, why they should Contact their legislator, why this is so important.
3: Sure. Well, um, the bill is uh, relatively technical in nature, but basically um, years ago, around 2001, there were some protections created for these non-federal wetlands in Wisconsin, which covers about a million acres. The reason for that is these particular types of wetlands are a huge and important natural resource in Wisconsin, kind of like Wisconsin's coral reef. And they provide um, important functionality for our state, including habitat for a ton of Wisconsin wildlife. So it's important um, to that community as well as to the community that believes strongly in the sporting heritage of the state um, and that, like, shooting things that live in these natural habitats, like ducks, et cetera. It's also important for flood mitigation, and obviously, you know, just think about how many times we've had these 100-year floods over the last 10 years or so. I mean, unfortunately, with climate change and with um, environmental, uh, you know, uh, situations getting a little more hairy as things, um, you know, go forward, we are in more need of environmental protection in Wisconsin than ever, and we don't want to be in a situation where the severe flooding is not mitigated, And we're going to see more climate refugees out of Wisconsin. And aside from the flood mitigation, aside from the wildlife habitat, it also provides important functionality in actually water quality and cleaning our water because these wetlands filter, um, you know, a ton of bad stuff through their systems and uh, make for a much better uh, filtration system than we'd have without them. So uh, water quality, flood mitigation, and wildlife are On their own, each big red flags of why we need to protect our wetlands. But altogether, I mean, this is a no-brainer. Unfortunately, there are those who have very deep pockets, specifically the WMC, who have had their eyes on basically making parking lots out of our wetlands for years. And now, with Foxconn setting the precedent, because remember they targeted that specific part of southeastern Wisconsin for this dredging and filling of those non-federal wetlands initially. They found that they could just kick the door wide open statewide and attack the million acres that Wisconsin has of these non-federal wetlands. So that's what we're seeing here today. And to your second question, why is it important that people weigh in? Well, again, just look at how they're introducing this and how they're having this move forward. Basically, no heads up to the public. Basically, no opportunity or incredibly little opportunity for the public to weigh in through the public hearing process, cutting it in half by putting it into a joint committee where the Senate and Assembly are hearing this together today at 11. Um, And they they don't want people to know about this because if people found out, they would be up in arms statewide thing. This isn't just southeastern Wisconsin. Um, And this isn't just your environmental groups, although them as well. This is also your hunting groups, your sporting groups. This is also people who are living in areas that would be adversely affected by flooding, if not for the protections they're afforded by their current functional wetlands. So, uh, yeah, this is a huge one. It's really important that we get people to call early and often, even while you're on break. You can flood the phones. You can flood the emails. You know, it takes five minutes to contact legislators, but uh, they've got to hear about this one because, um, unfortunately, you know, they want it to go quickly and quietly.
1: Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, you know, a couple a couple of thoughts that came to mind as you were speaking. You know, one is that they are doing all of this, as Paul Ryan has just orchestrated, uh, this uh, horrible tax bill, which will automatically cut all types of things, including the National Flood Insurance Program. So... There's that. Um, but also, I, I want to note that we had a series of elections on Tuesday, and one of them was a primary, Democratic primary in Racine, Wisconsin, where there were two great people running. Um, Alderman John Tate II, full-time social worker, um, came very close, didn't win. Uh, but the winner is a very progressive uh, candidate named Greta Neubauer, who is actually an environmental activist, who will now be representing the area where we're going to have Foxconn, or at least right next to it. And so uh, I think there's a lot that is exciting exciting about that. She won't be seated, though, until January 16th, because that's when the general election is, for which there's no opponent. Uh, Jonathan, when do we expect that they're going to have a vote on this?
3: Well, yeah, and it's unfortunate that her predecessor, Cory Mason, was one of the biggest advocates for Foxconn. And, you know, obviously, that um, a pretty bad president. He was known for someone who was an environmental advocate before that. Um, but this travesty, as we predicted, would lead to a statewide... Um, you know, kind of uh, I, I, uh, ear, uh, benchmark, and that precedent would be exploited by the WMC, which now is coming to fruition. So, you know, if you're talking about that seat, that's an important part of the history that um, you know we should not uh, we should not forget about. Now your question as to when this is going to be acted on in the full assembly, Senate, and then signed by the governor um, is pertinent because they want to wrap up session relatively quickly. So uh, there's talk about an early January session, a second January session, and then possibly one more in February. Um, but it's, it's unclear. I think they're still negotiating internally between the Senate and the Assembly on the Republican side. But that's what we're hearing. Um, so. That means that this bill can get its joint hearing. Both uh, the Senate and the Assembly can then exec on it. Both committees can exec on it pretty quickly, probably the first week of January, I would assume, get it done before floor session, bring it to floor in that first session, and and pass it uh, within a couple weeks. Um, So that's the time frame we're talking about, where we're talking about something that will fund a million acres of wetlands Wisconsin-wide.
2: I just want to get your take on what this all means. A lot of us, and you were at the forefront in fighting Foxconn, we we're fighting you know, arm and arm on that, was that as bad as Foxconn is as a deal, that it's actually a precedent for changing uh, all kinds of other policies uh, and universalizing the Foxconn deal statewide. So for example, what this seems to do is say it's not just a special deal on wetlands for Foxconn, we're now gonna say that any company can get the Foxconn deal. And the same thing's gonna happen with these highly generous subsidies, right? And basically paying huge amounts for jobs and no accountability, etc. So it seems like when people say they're disappointed we can't stop Foxconn it passed, we can actually stop piece by piece the universalizing of Foxconn. And this is the opening wedge of that process.
3: That's a great point. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And you know the momentum that they've began with this sort of movement of having the very very rich control how the process works and be able to do so at the um, you know at the negligence of taking care of the the majority of people is is relatively recent, I would say, in this kind of extreme version, and it can be undone through organizing. And you have to remember why is you know, my, why are the rich so powerful? Why can a billionaire come into, you know, a county, you know, come into, you know, Wausau or Kenosha or Milwaukee whatever and have their way with the politicians that are for sale because they can put down a lot of campaign money. But that campaign money is only meant to be used for influence over voters so that for sale politicians can re-up and get reelected again. On the other hand, there's a much more efficient way to influencing policy, which is having a ton of people organized around these issues and bring people out who, you know, might not have thought of politics as a gig before, but by bringing in the people power, it definitely supersedes. It's a much more efficient method to, uh, you know, to effective um, policymaking, because the politicians will, if you have, you know, one person who can give you you know, a ton of money to influence a lot of people, or you can just say, well, we have actually all these people who are already, you know, pushing for something, then the politician's going look to the, you know, the large group of critical mass of people then and say, all right, you know, this is, this is where my power comes from. I've got to listen to them. So the work that Citizen Action doing is critical for this, but um, we've all got to kind of step it up a notch. Now that we're home for the holidays, and we're going to have family and we're going to have people. And it is a great organizing opportunity to break down exactly what's happening. And I wrote an article as well as did a video on the wetlands. So if people want more info, they can either contact me directly for it or they can check those out for a little more background. But explain exactly what's happening. If you have that Republican uncle that loves hunting and just wants to be left alone, tell him, hey, this is the government infringing on your hunting rights. This is exactly up your alley, Uncle Bob or whoever. You know, this is going to hurt you directly. And this sort of precedent is exactly what we're saying. They don't care about you. They don't care. They'll say this, say that, you know, woody woo. They don't care about you. They care about the big political donors.
0: Hey, John, on on that note, Uncle Brostoff, I'm going to have to let you go. We got We really want to thank you for educating folks on this issue, but also Foxconn and and how these two are deeply connected. So, thank you very much for joining us today and leading the fight on this. All
2: right, how do
0: you? With that, we got to get out of here. We are the Battleground Wisconsin, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Having a great conversation uh, before the break. Uh, actually, before we had our interview with Representative Rostov about the implications of the tax bill, before we go on to our next topic, I want to talk about something related to that conversation, and that's that, like, we, we move on to the next fight, right? And our fights often happen in real time, and that has a state legislative connect. Um, there is going to be special elections, uh, actually really only one uh, that matters since... Uh, The race in Racine that uh, Rebecca referenced earlier for the assembly seat, there is no general. But up in western Wisconsin, the Hudson-Menominee area, uh, Senate District 10, there's going to be a general election uh, coming up there. And it's really important that folks that we get involved in that race and use this broader environment to try to impact that race. So just want to flag that. We'll talk more about that race uh, in January, but uh, before we do, th- before we go, we do want to talk today about a really important uh, healthcare report, uh, cost report that Citizen Action released this week. It is our 12th annual, where we do uh, Robert in particular, along with Kevin Kane, uh, go in and really take a look at what w- what we're paying for healthcare across the state, um, and then also beyond that, also what what are the implications behind the data? So Robert, this year's report uh, overall found that. Again, we find wildly varying costs for healthcare. I want you to tell us a, briefly a little bit about that, but then what are the key, what are the key f- implications for w- what's in the
2: data this year? So you can, and, and listeners on the radio can find this on the website, citizenactionwa.org across the top of the page. This is the 12th year we've done the ranking report and so it allows us to dig into healthcare hyperinflation, which uh, I don't know, Rebecca, you've probably noticed that there aren't exactly special sessions of the Wisconsin legislature about healthcare costs or about about uh, trying to make it more affordable, accessible to people, or it's not even on their agenda, right?
1: No, they're too busy trying to destroy our wetlands.
2: Right, exactly. <laughs> you would think, given the impact, this would be even on the agenda in Madison, but we do a straight-out ranking, uh, and so, combining all three kinds of health insurance. The winner this year, ta-da, is Eau Claire, followed by Green Bay, Manitowoc, and Milwaukee, and then La Crosse at number five, uh, as far as how expensive they are. But we dig in more than that. We actually find, you know, there's a whole question. Health insurance, most of the cost of health insurance is not from the insurance companies, even though they go and take their cut, right? its underlying medical costs, which are out of control, prescription drug costs, all inflating at rapid rates. What's interesting this year is is that there was a decoupling of the cost of insurance for large and medium-sized employers, which actually went down, and that for people who buy it on their own, and, and and small group, which is small businesses, which went dramatically up. In fact, for individual market, the worst was Green Bay, where it went up over 100%, as people buy insurance on their own. If you get the subsidies, they would cover that, so the federal government pays the uh, bill. If you're just above that level, you pay all of it. And Robert,
0: just so our listeners know, it's like 85 percent. It's a very large percent that have most of their coverage subsidized. So for most of the folks on it's who just are receiving a federal budget it.
2: issue, correct. Yes. Uh, correct. But there is that 15 percent that's really getting hammered, right? That, uh, that, that, that's that's uh, that's too a little too far up in the income level, and some of those are small business owners, people we know across correct. the state, and so. What that suggests, that decoupling, is is that medical price inflation obviously um, didn't go up that much this year. And this is uh, borne out national numbers, partly because it's so high right now. And so, this 100% increase, a 50% average increase for, for, for individual market insurance, um, obviously has to do with sabotage, the sabotage of the yeah. Affordable Care Act by the Trump administration and the Walker administration. Ta da! and it'll get worse because as we as we sort of previewed in the in the discussion of the of the GOP tax bill they've repealed the individual mandate yeah. which will lead to 13 million people losing insurance over 200,000 in Wisconsin over 10 years and will raise rates next year in Wisconsin according to the Center of American Progress by about $2,700 a year so these numbers will inflate even further this doesn't include the latest work of sabotage so the other thing to understand, we, there's a lot. There are 19 charts. so You can look at all sorts of relationships. You can look at that. There isn't a relationship between cost and quality, which we find every year. So the highest cost plans are not high, higher quality, and the lower cost plans are often higher quality. Uh, but the big thing is, what we put in is, we compared what prices would be for small businesses and for individuals if there was a care public option. The bill that uh, State Representative Eric Genrich and... Uh, and uh, State Senator LaTanya Johnson put forward with our strong support. And Eric Denrich is a co-op member of SCS National Northeast Wisconsin. And the numbers are, of course, stark. Uh, The the biggest is Green Bay. In Green Bay, if you paid the full freight, if you're you're not getting the tax subsidies, you would pay $6,361 a year less uh, uh, for the BadgerCare public option. Now, you could pay that $6,000 if you really loved corporate insurance. But if you don't, then you could, then, then you could do this. And, and down the line, the average for individuals is $4,426 less. And why is that? It's because you're buying all the insurance. We've already used our Democrat government to create the infrastructure to provide insurance and to have very large provider networks. You hear people, the right, like to complain that, med- that law doctors like Medicaid. The number of docs take Medicaid is over 90 percent, so it is the widest network period in the state. It's much wider than any private health insurance plan. So it's absurd, and so we, we all this does is it, it by having a lot more people together, it does it reverses right the sabotage, because quite frankly, the whole point is to have bargaining leverage, and large employers have more bargaining leverage. That's why their insurance is better and their rates are lower. Now. The other thing about this is, is that it doesn't require Mr. Trump or the Congress at no fiscal cost to the state. They can adopt this bill right now and immediately give people these huge savings who we'll have to buy insurance on their own or for small businesses as well, who most of them are priced out. Only a third of small businesses can even afford to buy insurance for their employees.
0: So Robert, this all sounds very good, right? Um, not, not the numbers. You Badger care public option. <laughs> <laughs> this all sounds really good, but my concern is I was you know, perusing the internet the other day and I just read from McIver that this and scheme are the of yours, know, this, this is, Care for All scheme. These are the folks
2: funded by the Bradley oh, Foundation and the Koch th- Brothers I Network. I think our listeners
0: know who McIver is, our yeah. good friends at McIver. McRuber, <laughs> we
2: also have called them in the past.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, they say that this scheme of yours, this Badger Care for All scheme, it sounds sounds socialistic to me, uh, that it's, it, it's some kind of utopia that's going to bankrupt everybody. So why should we trust this Badger Care for All
2: scheme? Do you want to read the language? I think it's <laughs> useful to parse right-wing language. Uh, right disinformation language
0: so basically robert what robert's uh, pointing out there mckiver came out with a a list of the 10 lies the worst yeah, we made lies. number three <laughs>
1: We made number three care public option
0: basically they're suggesting that uh that this scheme will get more people hooked on government benefits
2: that's the lie. scheme to hook people on public <laughs> benefits well th- Look, it's the battle for big ideas. You notice how they're always talking about their big ideas, their big crummy ideas, but they're big, right? So notice how their their worldview is right there.
0: Yes, we're gonna hook you on healthcare. That will provide you the opportunity to succeed. We're gonna hit you in the main vein with some healthcare, apparently, as Rebecca was uh, doing Aftercare some healthcare a drug. Yes. Some, some animation. I, look, the, the 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 ridiculous thing here is they don't at all point out what the lie is about what we say they just don't like our
2: scheme. oh no no they hit <laughs> at it and they, they they do link to their previous uh, uh, alleged research piece on this the let's say fiscal bureau says that if you have a lot more people in badger care uh, and medicaid pays a lower rate it sets the price that some more doctors might leave Medicaid. As I said before, many more doctors 90%. take Medicaid than any other private health insurance plan. And so McIver tried to blow this up into a ticking time bomb in the citizen action plan that the lefties and lefty legislators are moving that they won't address. This doesn't say that at all, uh, but we got number three. I think, we, I think uh, the lies that they claim about Foxconn being a disaster gets lower on the list, right? I, I, and so, this is this tells you what? It tells you how threatened they are by us offering strong alternatives that would actually address people's problems, provide affordable healthcare, and do it with our own democratic government, which is what they cannot tolerate and which they see the bout because they don't want our democracy to do things like
0: so, that. So, let me put a bow on all this. I mentioned the Senate District Race 10. Um, and the importance of using the current political environment. Well, we have an opportunity, and Citizen Action uh, is going to be involved in there. We would like to make phone calls around Badger Care, public option, into that race, and make sure that all Democratic voters, all progressive voters, all people who need to be hooked on health care uh, hear about this and get out and vote. And if you are interested in getting involved in that, please uh, shoot me an email. This will be something you can make calls from your home. We'll help hook you up and you can call targeted voters. So I want to encourage you to do that. You can reach me at matt.brusky B-R-U-S-K-Y at citizenactionwi.org. We'll be running this in January. So
2: please and let me know over the holidays. One closing argument. You know, all we're saying is people should have the choice for Care. so they can run ads Nancy Reagan style. Just say no to Care and select corporate health insurance. Oh, they will have that option.
0: You just, you're just, you the pusher man, alright? Let's be clear about this. You and your, your scheme for healthcare. <laughs> With that though we want to wish everyone a happy holidays. Uh, we, we may have a special for you next week but probably not. I think the podcast is going to be gone. Brian Wooldridge and a lot of the us are gone next is shaking week. His head. The producer says absolutely not. So <laughs> with that, we'll see you. We'll see you in uh, 2018. We want, of course, thank Representative Jonathan Brostoff for joining us and our producer Brian Wildridge who makes it happen. We also want to thank Rebecca Lynch who has uh, joined us and is an amazing addition. And thank her for all of her time in 2017 and look forward to a great conversation continuing in 2018. And we'll see you next year at the battleground, Wisconsin.